Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. So uh, I, I want to begin today by restating the core of what I said when uh, we began this series about flourishing, thriving in faith and life two weeks ago. I mean, just take a few minutes and kind of kind of uh, 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 get set in s- some of our thinking around this and then move it forward to today's message. Um, did I mention we're going to be receiving communion together at the end of the message? Okay, just wanted to make sure that I had said that to set your expectations that that's coming. So um, essentially what I tried to say, though I took quite some time to say it two weeks ago, is that God wants to flourish you. And the passage of Scripture that really is informing my thinking about this is from the prophecy of Isaiah, where Isaiah speaks on God's behalf and says to the Jews in exile and who were being encouraged in their present circumstance and promised that things were going to get even better as they returned to the life God dreamed for them in Jerusalem, God said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower, And bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So God says that just as sure as the rain and snow comes and does not return without accomplishing what it was sent to do, which is to make things bud and flourish. God says, so it is that my word, when it comes to you, causes things to bud and flourish and will not return to me without accomplishing what I sent it to do. And this is how I'm thinking when I'm thinking about the idea of what it looks like to flourish scripturally. To flourish is to have thriving well-being in every dimension of life. To flourish is to have thriving well-being in every dimension of life. And again, I'm informed in my thinking about this by the teaching of scripture. Thriving is at the root of what flourishing is in scripture. When Isaiah told us that God's word makes things bud and flourish, he used words that spoke of new life being brought forth and growing healthily. The word bud, God's word causes things to bud. The word bud is also translated germinate and is used to describe giving birth to new life. The word flourish, God's word causes things to bud and flourish, is also translated sprout and refers to plants springing up out of the ground. Flourishing is not a static state. 
To flourish is to experience life as a constantly growing, always improving, ever increasing, better and better well-being in every dimension of life. It's budding. There's life. It's flourishing. It's growing. This is what it looks like to flourish in Scripture. And then we also talked about how that we know that we're flourishing when we're producing fruit, to use a, a, a biblical way of saying that we see the results of flourishing in our lives. If we're flourishing, there are things happening. We're producing fruit, and this involves both uh, the fruit of the Spirit being developed in our lives or the development of our character. So when we flourish, we are being more fully developed in who we are, and we're also more successful in the things that we do. We're productive. Things are getting better as a result of us being engaged in it. So when we flourish, we know it because we see the evidence of it in our lives, both our character and the results of our efforts to make this world a better place in all kinds of ways, in our careers, in our the way we raise our families, etc., and so on. And then uh, finally, in terms of just talking about what we said a couple of weeks ago, we discussed that the most important aspect of flourishing is to focus on our relationship with God. He does, he, he designed us to flourish and he will help us flourish. According to the words in Isaiah that we just read, it is God's word that causes things to bud and flourish. God's word is the expression of his thoughts. And as I taught at length a couple of weeks ago, he has high thoughts about you. He, he thinks higher thoughts about you than you think about yourself. And so his word is the expression of his thoughts about everything and particularly as it concerns your life, about you. And so the most important thing we can do to flourish is to be in relationship with God so that the God designed us to flourish can, through his word, actually help us flourish. So uh, I'd encourage you, if you didn't hear the message a couple of weeks ago, I dug into all of that at some length, and I encourage you to go online and to connect with it. Today, I want to talk about one particular aspect of flourishing. I want to talk about flourishing psychologically. So let's go back again to this passage in Isaiah chapter 55, and I'm going to read what I've just read, but then add the next few verses, which I think offer a, a, a a beautiful description of psychological thriving. Okay, here we go. Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it blood and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. There's, it produces something. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. We just read that. Now, let's add the next section. You will go out in joy. So, when the word of God flourishes you, this is part of what's going to happen. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, 
and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. So the part of this that interests me in the context of today's message is that people who are flourishing go out in joy and are led forth in peace and the world around them sees them and responds with celebration. Here's how Eugene Peterson translates this in his uh, translation, The Message. The words that come out from my mouth will not come back empty-handed. They'll do the work I sent them to do. They'll complete the assignment I gave them. So you'll go out in joy. You'll be led into a whole and complete life, which is how Peterson translates the word peace, which is an excellent way to translate it because peace is shalom, and shalom is not just the absence of conflict. It's about everything being made whole in your life, okay? So let's come back to this. When the Word of God comes and brings us to life and causes us to flourish, not only do we produce seed that helps people eat, but we also go out in joy and we are led forth as whole and complete beings, which is what peace means in scripture. And everything around us responds. So what's it say? So you go out in joy, you'll be led into a whole and complete life. The mountains and hills will lead the parade bursting with song. All the trees of the forest will join the procession, exuberant with applause. No more thistles, but giant sequoias. No more thorn bushes, but stately pines. I think that's a beautiful picture of psychological flourishing as I'll attempt to demonstrate over the next little bit. But let's first of all try to define what I mean when I say psychological flourishing. Here's my definition. To flourish psychologically is to thrive in our thought life and emotional life in ways that manifest in how we interact with the world around us. So to flourish psychologically is to thrive in our thought life and our emotional life in ways that are demonstrated in how we interact with the world around us. In fact, when we're really thriving, the world around us claps its hands and says, wow, okay? So in Isaiah 55, these people are going out in joy. They're being led to their God-dreamed lives in peace. And the world around them responded with ecstatic celebration. When we're not thriving psychologically, it's hard to go out at all. But God, when he flourishes, causes us to go out in joy and to be led forth in peace. We're going somewhere with this, and we're going somewhere with this in a way that can be described as we're going there flourishing psychologically. Several years ago, I read a, uh, an article in the New York Times called What to Do When Crawdad Grows Anxious. Captured my attention. In part, it says that scientists from France have documented behavior in crayfish, what we would call crawdad, that fits the pattern of certain type of a certain type of anxiety in human beings and other animals. The findings reported on Thursday in the journal Science suggest that the external hallmarks of anxiety have been around for a very long time and far down the food chain 
Researchers reported that after crawdads were exposed to electrical shocks, they would not venture out of comfortable dark areas in an elaborate aquarium into scarier, at least for a crawdad, brightly lit areas. Crawdads that had not been shocked were more adventurous. They would hesitate, then sometimes explore the, uh, uh, the brighter areas. So here's the deal. Whether it's an anxious crawdad or an anxious person, it's hard when you're suffering from anxiety to go out and adventure into the life God dreams for you. But what God wants for us is to flourish us in such a way that we go out with joy and that we are led forth with peace and we are not stuck in our lives, but we're progressing in a way that could be described, as we do around here, as living the life God dreams for us. So to flourish in our thought life is not just to have an absence of negative thoughts, it's to have an abundance of positive thoughts. It's not just an absence of debilitating doubt, it's an abundance of faith. To flourish in our emotions is not just to have an absence of anxiety or sadness or anger, for instance, but to have an abundance of joy, to feel a deep sense of wholeness and peace, and to go out. God's calling some of us to go out. And we're hiding in the dark corners of life because we're not experiencing the levels of joy and peace and other aspects of psychological flourishing that God wants for us. You know, there are, uh, uh, there's quite a body of research you're probably familiar with, I've taught about it before, about how that we catch moods from each other. In fact, Daniel Goleman, who I'll refer to several times today, the, the uh, author of the landmark international bestseller, Emotional Intelligence, wrote, emotions are contagious. We transmit and catch moods from each other in what amounts to a subterranean economy of the psyche. We catch feelings from one another as though they were some kind of social virus. So let me add this then to what I've said in kind of some introductory comments. When you're flourishing, everything around you feels it. Everyone around you is attracted to you and responds favorably to you. What does the text say? God's word causes us to bud and flourish. We produce seed and bread. And not only that, we go out in joy, we're led forth in peace, and then it talks about how nature around us responds. We're told, you know, the trees clap, mountains and hills burst into song. Your boss says yes. Your team is happy when you show up. Your kids rejoice in your presence. Your friends clap their hands. Your spouse burst into song when you walk in the door. Well, all right. Maybe I'm getting a little carried away, but you get the point. This is what happens when we're thriving, when we're flourishing. Everything around us says, wow, look at that guy. We're just excited to be somewhere in his presence. See, this is what God wants for you. He wants to flourish you. 
And he will if you'll let him. I, I like the way Eugene Peterson says then, you know, so nature responds, the trees clap, mountains burst, and the hills burst into song and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and then he says, the, the New International Version says, instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. Eugene Peterson has no more thistles, but giant sequoias. No more thistles. Just, we, we're not going to live. We're not going to live in the corners, and we're not going to be thistles. No more thistles, but giant sequoias. This is what God wants. He wants to flourish you. No more thorn bushes, but stately pines. This is where we're headed. So where we're headed, now there's a journey to get there, but where we're headed is where anxiety is gone and peace is growing, where depression is gone and joy is growing, where rage is gone and level-headedness is growing, where destructive impulses are gone and self-control is growing. So let's begin, you know, you're always supposed to begin with the, with the end in mind, right? The, the, the end of spiritual growth, which is, my, is going to take us some time to get there, is that, 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 that negative stuff is gone and positive stuff is just proliferating. And, you know, thistles have become sequoias. This is what God wants for you. Okay, let's organize the teaching then around uh, two simple uh, ways of getting at this. Let's talk about what God doesn't want and what God does want, okay? What God doesn't want and what God does want. Here's the first thing, and, you know, this is one of those messages and you know, I, I uh, it was, uh, strongly encourage you to be a note taker, to uh, take the time and know that when you're writing and or typing in your, you know, the app or wherever it is you find the notes or there are life notes in seat back pockets around you, that it helps you get this in your mind. Your, your, your ability to retain things is tremendously enhanced when you write notes, and this would be a good note-taking talk from this time forward. What God does not want, first of all, God does not want you to worry about worrying. It's a great story about a woman being treated for generalized anxiety disorder, which is the uh, psychiatric nomenclature for being a constant worrier. And she was asked by her therapist to worry aloud for one minute. And in brief, this is what she said, but it represents the whole minute. She, she said out loud, now stream of consciousness, you know, in other words, say out loud what's going through your head when you're worrying. She said, I might not do this right. This may be so artificial that it won't be an indication of the real thing, and we need to get at the real thing. Because if we don't get at the real thing, I won't get well. And if I don't get well, I'll never be happy. In this stream of consciousness, worry, she's worrying about worrying. She's worrying that she's not even worrying right. And we can get caught in those kinds of downward cycles in our, in our lives, right? So, and then it goes from just, I don't know if I'll worry right, to by the time she's gotten to the end, she's saying, I guess I'll never be happy. And it's, 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 it's possible for us to to, to take something that's normal to most human beings, which it sometimes is to worry about something, and to not treat it properly so that all of a sudden it grows and grows and grows and grows into a, I guess I'll just never be happy kind of reality. We need to be aware of what we're thinking and feeling 
without becoming absorbed about what we're thinking and feeling, where we're worrying about worrying or where we're angry about the fact that we get angry or that we're sad about being sad. We need to normalize some of this, at least at the beginning, and understand that we all have a range of emotions, and the fact that we do should again be normalized. Jesus got angry. Jesus got sad. Jesus expressed joy. For us to feel things is not bad. It's part of what it means to be human. And so to some extent, what I want to say here at the beginning is there's a certain part of this about which we just need to kind of relax and take a deep breath. And just because you believe in Jesus and became a follower and got baptized and you still sometimes experience negative emotions is not like you're some abnormal person. It's like welcome to the club. Everybody here but me experiences some of those kinds of emotions. And my problem is just lying. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Daniel Goleman wrote, that was a joke, Aristotle observed, what is wanted is appropriate emotions, feeling proportionate to circumstance. When emotions are too muted, they create dullness and distance. When out of control, too extreme and persistent, they become pathological, as in immobilizing depression, overwhelming anxiety, raging anger, manic agitation. Goldman says downs as well as ups spice life but need to be in balance and that we should think about our mood in a sense of overall well-being. When people's moods are averaged over weeks or months, they tend to reflect that person's overall sense of well-being. I think sometimes we can become too, too, too hard even on ourselves and maybe sometimes on the people around us when there's uh, 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 when normal humanity shows up, that doesn't mean to act in a destructive way and our normal humanity is okay. It's not. But when normal humanity shows up, that, that all of a sudden that becomes the, the judgment about who we are and about our lives. And this is not right. So we all are going to have emotions that spring up within us. But as Goldman says, the art of soothing ourselves is a fundamental life skill. In other words, how do we handle that emotion? He writes, we very often have little or no control over when we are swept by emotion, nor over what emotion it will be, but we can have some say in how long an emotion will last. So let me just say, and, and I, I, the, the response in the lobby after the first service was amazing around this, sometimes we just kind of need to be reminded you know, there, there's not something wrong with you because sometimes you find yourself feeling sad. This is human. Many of the Psalms begin, many of the Psalms begin with a lament, with the psalmist saying, this is what I'm feeling. It's not good. And then kind of working through that to where he comes back to hope and faith in God. The, the 42nd Psalm, verse 11, is an example of that. The psalmist says, why, my soul, are you downcast? 
Why so disturbed within me? This is a human being saying, you know, I, I woke up this morning and maybe there was a reason. Maybe they couldn't even identify exactly the reason. But that morning, their soul was downcast. They felt desert, disturbed. It wasn't like, you know, bad me. I'm, I'm now going to worry about the fact that my soul is downcast. It is, here's the reality of what I'm feeling. Now, he says, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So we need to be honest about thoughts and feelings that disturb us and move from that to what God really wants for us in the whole picture of the well-being of our lives. Here's the second thing God doesn't want. He doesn't want us to hide all of us experience disturbing thoughts and emotions, which on the whole, when managed properly, get lost, hopefully, in an overall life of flourishing. Others of us get stuck in psychological unhealth in more serious ways. I read something this week that was stunning to me. I read a, a, an authoritative study which said that some 48% of people will experience some level of mental illness at some point in their lifetime. Now, I guess we can define mental illness in a wide range of ways, but that's, that's a, 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 about as much as I saw of that, that some 48% of people at some point in their life will have a, a some season where they experience what could be technically called mental illness. And, and, and I, I will just say, this is not something that we should, as followers of Jesus, ignore. This is, not, this is something that we need to acknowledge and to help bring healing to. There's a, a, a company that's very well known for its research, Lifeway Research, which uh, released a, a report that said nearly 70% of pastors rarely or never address the subject of mental illness from their pulpits. And, and I, I get that. It's not a pleasant thing to, to talk about, not my favorite subject. But that the same survey revealed that the majority of churchgoers wish their pastors would discuss it which was kind of a, you know, a, a, a little bit of a gut check for me. And um, uh, you might be familiar with the uh, satirical uh, website that kind of makes fun of Christians. It's Christians making fun of Christians, which we, we deserve some making fun of. But anyway, the Babylon Bee had an article that, that the headline says, Nations Churches Announce Plan to Continue Ignoring Mental Health Issues. And the article says, in a rare moment of interdenominational unity, the nation's churches announced a plan to continue ignoring mental health issues among congregants. We vow to continue pretending mental health issues do not exist and simply encouraging our members to pray the sadness away, a representative for the coalition said Wednesday. This truly is the best way to solve a problem by pretending it doesn't exist. So uh, several years ago, um, I went to a medical doctor uh, because I was suffering from chronic uh, acute pain. I don't know if those things are supposed to be in the same sentence or not, but it was both. It was chronic and it was acute. And, and, 
And so I, I w went to a, a, actually several medical doctors around this issue. And uh, um, I had been, just to remove the mystery, I don't mind telling you, I'd been diagnosed with trigeminal neuralgia, which is a unsheathing of the largest nerve in your body and your face. And I was suffering a lot of pain, so I go to, to, to some doctors to try to get some help. And uh, one of them discovered in my blood work, which this isn't why I was there, but he discovered in my blood work that I had incredibly low levels of several neurotransmitters. And uh, one of those, just an example, one of those, I had a incredibly low levels of serotonin. And uh, low levels of serotonin, as you may know, is thought to be associated with a number of health conditions, including depression, anxiety, insomnia, and other mental and physical issues. And this doctor, not a person of faith, said to me something to this effect. He said, the only reason that you're not feeling terrible psychologically, in fact, the way he said it was, was a little crude, maybe not a great bedside manner. He said, the only reason you haven't jumped off a bridge is because you're a person of faith. And then he prescribed me a regimen of supplements to raise the level of some of these transmitters in the chemistry of my brain, and I happily took them and was helped by them. Now here's my point for saying that. It's to say that serotonin levels matter, and faith matters, and the two are not mutually exclusive. And for whatever reason, you know, I had uh, at least two psychologists stop me today after the first service thanking me for this discussion and talking about how difficult they find it as Christians to treat Christians because of the guilt and shame associated with these issues. If you're having an issue in the chemistry of your brain, treat the chemistry of your brain. And if you're having an issue with your faith, raise the levels of your faith. So we can raise our serotonin levels and we can raise our faith levels at the very same time. And by the way, you know it's God, the creator, who gave some scientists the ability to develop the thing that can help the thing you need. So God still gets all the glory. And so please hear me. If you're struggling in a beyond normal way, which a psychologist told me the right way to say that is in, in a non-adaptive way, with your mental health, don't hide. Seek for help from a mental professional. Maybe start with a pastor, but seek for help from a mental professional. This is no more a lack of faith than to take an aspirin for a headache or to see a doctor for an issue with your body. The mind is a complex thing, and sometimes we need help professional help to get things sorted out, even, hear me guys, so we can sometimes even hear God's word. Sometimes we kind of need to get things functioning properly there so we can hear and comprehend. God's word is ultimately the thing that's going to flourish you, but you need to be in a position where you can even hear it. And somebody said, amen. <clears throat> Here's the third thing. God doesn't want you to be held captive by negative thoughts and feelings. 
God doesn't want you to be held captive by negative thoughts and feelings. For the vast majority of us who experience, let's call it a normal range, I don't think that's the technically correct way of saying it, but forgive me and give me grace if I don't, this isn't my area of expertise, okay? But, uh, uh, so let me just say it that way. For the vast majority of us who experience a normal range of emotions, We must accept that they're normal while knowing that part of spiritual growth now is to experience fewer negative thoughts and feelings and more positive thoughts and feelings. So on one hand, we're going to accept the fact that we have emotions and and that probably most of us wish we had and God wants us to have fewer negative thoughts thoughts and emotions and more positive thoughts. So we're going to accept that. But at the same time, we're, we're, we're not going to accept that that's the way it's always going to be. We know that as God flourishes, as his word works in our lives, that we're going to grow from, uh, we're going to grow from less negativity to more positivity. This is part of spiritual growth. For most of us, this isn't an overnight, you know, wave the magic wand Shazam thing. This is a, it's called spiritual growth, guys. Part of thriving is growing. To flourish means to grow. It doesn't mean that you have arrived. So so you may not think you're flourishing, but if you're doing better today than you were a year ago in some of these ways, you are flourishing. It's about growth. It's about growth. So, so you know, on one hand, we need to be aware of and accept the fact that, it, that, that the emotions we feel are human. On the other hand, we can't become engulfed in them, obsessed by them, held captive to them, and we can't also accept that just because we're feeling something negative now, that that's the way it's always going to be. Don't accept that to which you should take exception. Do you see the nuance here? On one hand, don't beat yourself up because you're struggling with something right now. On the other hand, don't say, that's okay, that's just the way it is. Okay? Because if you're suffering from depression... That's not what God wants for you ultimately. He loves you in your depression just as much as he'll love you when you're not depressed, right? None of that changes. None of that's a question. But but, but, but don't get caught up in thinking, I guess this is just the way it's always going to be. It's not always going to be that way because we are going to trust God to flourish us. All right. Passage... A passage of scripture that's really helped me over the years, and, and this will take me into the, my, my, my final thought here before we receive communion, is that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5, which is so amazing. It says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God Psychologists might call these schemas. Schemas are, you know, uh, ingrained patterns of thought and behavior that, 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 that have really become a part of who we are over a long period of time. Let's, let's look at scripture here. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So in a minute, we're going to talk about how that our emotions are responsive to what we think. 
And so what we have to learn to do as believers now is take our thoughts and feelings captive. Don't be captivated by them. But take your thought, you capture your thoughts and feelings and you have to hold them up to the word of God and say, is this true? Is this what God's word says to me? And if I guarantee you, if it's a negative thought or feeling, unless it's perhaps, let's say it's guilt, which isn't a negative thought, actually. If God, uh, if we're convicted because we've done something wrong, there's a remedy to that. And the remedy to that is to seek forgiveness and receive it and move away from guilt, okay? But, but, but probably aside from that, if it's a negative thought or feeling, it's not being obedient to the word of God. So you capture the thought, you capture the feeling, and you say, hey, thought, or feeling, I'm going to make you obey what God's word says. I'm not going to think thoughts that are not in line with God's thoughts about me, and I am not going to feel feelings that are not in alignment with what God tells me I should be feeling. All right, so with that in mind, here's the, the rest of the talk. It's then to say what God does want. So we just talk about what God doesn't want. Now let's talk about what God does want. Here's the first, in line with what I've just said. God wants you to tell yourself the truth. God wants you to tell yourself the truth. So emotions are a response to what we think. I've taught many years about uh, Dr. William Backus and his wonderful book that really impacted me probably 30 or 40 years ago called Tell Yourself the Truth. I recommend it. Hope you'll buy it. But Backus said an emotion is a response of a number of physical systems to something we believe. So our thoughts inform our emotions. Uh, some will talk about the, the, the thinking brain and the feeling brain. Regardless how you want to say it, our thoughts tell our emotions how to feel. Now, if we're not careful, we'll get sidetracked and there'll be a negative feedback loop where our emotions will start telling our thoughts what to think. And that can't happen because we need to inform our thoughts. We need to think the thoughts of God after him. Our thoughts must be informed by the word of God, by truth, and they must inform our feelings what to feel. Uh, a professor of psychology, uh, Lisa Feldman Barrett said, you feel what your brain believes. You feel what your brain believes. And, and we all have to remind ourselves, guys, our emotions will lie to us. Our emotions will lie to us. Which, which, which brings to mind a pet peeve of mine uh, commonly called emotional reasoning. Emotional reasoning goes like this. I, I hear a lot of people using this language, and I guess it must be popular on TikTok or I don't know why. There it is. People will start a sentence about something that's going to lead to objective truth with the words, I feel that. And, and, and ultimately, it comes off sounding like this often. I feel that two plus two equals five. But, you know, usually it's about something a lot more important than mathematics. You, do you understand the point I'm trying to make? I feel that, and then they, they decide what they believe to be true on the basis of their feeling. Listen, we have lots of younger folks in this church for which I'm grateful. I'm grateful as I have aged that somehow or elder no one else seems to have, okay? But uh, uh, I hear a lot of you younger people getting caught up in emotional reasoning. And let me just say this to you, my dear friend, because you feel it doesn't make it true. Doesn't make it true. 
We have to tell ourselves the truth. And after we hear the truth, then we say, I feel that. And what we feel is a description of what's objectively true. And one way that psychotherapists are getting at this today, and you're familiar with this, I, I would imagine, because it's become quite popular. But I, I, when I first saw this many years ago, I was impressed by it, started talking about it. Cognitive behavioral therapy. CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. I, I met a, a, after the first service a cognitive behavioral therapist who's a, a longtime member of our church. And, and just in brief, I'll read now from the wonderful book, The Coddling of the American Mind, which I recommend all parents buy, by the way, because a lot of this is about young people and what's going on with kids in today's world and how we can help them and serve them and help them be healthier and, and maybe even less fragile and and so did I just say that? That maybe wasn't a nice way to say that. But nonetheless, you understand, most of you, exactly what I mean when I say that. Here, here briefly, cognitive behavior, behavioral therapy, it is possible to break the disempowering feedback cycle between negative beliefs and negative emotions. If you can get people to examine these beliefs and consider counter evidence, it gives them at least some moments of release from negative emotions, of relief from negative emotions. And if you release them from negative emotions, they become more open to questioning their negative beliefs. With repetition over a period of weeks or months, people can change their schemas, their ingrained patterns of thought and behavior. The evidence that CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, works is overwhelming. A common finding is that CBT works about as well as Prozac and similar drugs for relieving the symptoms of anxiety disorders and mild to moderate depression, and it does so with longer-lasting benefits and without any negative side effects. CBT is effective for anorexia, bulimia, obsessive-compulsive disorder, anger, marital discord, and stress-related disorders. CBT is easy to do, has been widely used, has been demonstrated to be effective, and is the best-studied form of of psychotherapy. And it's, it's, it's pretty simple. I'm, I'm probably oversimplifying it, but it's essentially sitting down and saying, so, so that's what you think, or that's what you feel. Now let's talk about what's true. Is that what you should be thinking or feeling as opposed to forms of psychotherapy, which I don't take issue with. I have no criticism of people trying to help folks with their mental health. And, and, and I realize there are other schools of thoughts and preferences, and that's fine. I, I, no desire to criticize or to be controversial in any way today. But as opposed to forms of psychotherapy, that's about, well, so that's what you feel. I hear what you feel. Let's go back now for over the next five years. Let's meet every week and talk for an hour about what your mother did wrong that caused you to feel what you're feeling and so on and so forth. Now, see, I was just a smart aleck and I didn't mean, really didn't want to be a smart aleck around that. But, 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 and again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure in all seriousness, there's value to exploring all of that, all of that. But, but at, at, at some point, we, we need to ask the question, is what I I'm feeling what I should be feeling? Is what I'm thinking what I should be thinking? How can I take truth and apply it to this? Now, here's the larger point I want to make. I like cognitive behavioral therapy. I, I commend it to you. But what I like better is what I would call Word of God behavioral therapy. Let's call it WBT, okay? Because it's one thing to talk to a cognitive behavioral therapist about what's true about what you're feeling. It's another thing to get 
in God's mind about what's true and what we should be feeling. And when the Word of God is applied to our thoughts and emotions, it will inform how we think, inform how we feel, and inform how we live to such an extent that we go out with joy and we're led forth in peace and everything around us says, wow, would you look at this person who's flourishing in such a way. So, so, and I mean this with all, with all my heart, guys. We, th- see, this is the power of the gospel. This is more than a human thing. This is more than a human thing. There is a supernatural thing that's offered to us by God if we will engage him and his word. His word, listen, this is the word that was spoken, an expression of his thoughts that created the world. Trust me that his word in your life can help you become a more joyful person, see? His word will make you bud and flourish. And that's what we need. So we're suffering from anxiety. And, 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 and so as we, as we meditate on God's word and we learn God's word, now we're able to start recalling it and speaking it to ourselves. So we're saying, okay, I'm anxious. What am I anxious about? Again, it's normal. I probably every, I assume everybody in this room sometimes feels some anxiety about something. So you don't say, oh, what's wrong with me? I'm supposed to love Jesus and I'm feeling, no, you say, okay, I'm anxious. Why am I feeling anxious right now? I'm feeling anxious. Well, because of such and such and, you know, statistics say something like 97% of the things we worry about never happen, right? So a cognitive behavioral therapist might tell us that. So we, we, that's important. But then we say, well, what, what does God say about what I'm feeling right now? And we think, oh, I remember Paul said to the Philippians to, to be anxious for nothing, but, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving to make my request known to God and that the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep my heart and my mind in Jesus Christ. So I'm gonna take a few minutes right now based on what the Word of God tells me is true. God, this is what I'm anxious about. I've got that meeting at 3 o'clock today with my boss, and I know he's a, he's a little upset at me, and, and, and maybe I missed something you know, last week, and I'm feeling anxious about this. Lord, I take this. I offer a prayer to you. I thank you that you've always seen me through everything I've ever, ever experienced in my life. Somehow or another, even when I thought the worst, things have always ended up working out okay, Lord. And so I take this thought, and I take this feeling, and I say, okay, thought and feeling. This is what God's word says. Don't be anxious about anything, but pray about it with thanksgiving and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your heart and mind. Lord, I receive your peace right now. Now, I'm not saying that that exercise right there settles everything forever in your life. This is the, I, I am saying this is part of spiritual growth. This is part of flourishing. It's learning how to take God's word, to take objective truth, and not define your life by your thoughts and feelings, but define your life by God's thoughts and let your feelings be determined by what God says. The word of God will cause you to bud and flourish. And ultimately, uh, you know, to help you live the life he dreamed for you. I've, I've run out of time, got a lot more to say. Uh, I just, I'll give you my, 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 my points here. Uh, God wants us to get smart mentally and emotionally. See, that's what happens now as the word of God starts working in our lives. Now again, go to the seminar at work, 
you know, on emotional intelligence. It's wonderful stuff. But no, there's a supernatural component now when, when, when the Word of God starts engaging with that. You know, science and faith, cognitive behavioral therapy, the Word of God, however you want to think. You get the point, right? But you want to step it up a level? Start reading God's Word more. Start spending more time in prayer. Let the Holy Spirit start working in your life. God will cause you to flourish. Emotional intelligence... Emotional intelligence is the growing capacity to identify, manage, express, and leverage our emotions in ways that help us love ourselves and others, thrive in every dimension, and fulfill our God-dreamed destinies. That's my definition of emotional intelligence for whatever it's worth. It's the growing capacity to identify, what do I feel? Manage, soothe the feeling, express, find a healthy way if needed to express what it is you're feeling, and leverage our emotions. You know, a lot of times these negative emotions can be turned into positive forces. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. was angry at injustice. He turned anger into a dream, see? And ultimately, as we're growing, this is what we're learning to do. The Holy Spirit is helping us identify, manage, express, leverage our emotions in ways that help us love ourselves and others, thrive in every dimension, and fulfill. In our, in our God, fulfill our God dream destinies. I love to say that the fruit of the Spirit is emotional intelligence. The fruit of the Spirit is emotional intelligence. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Paul said the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of what? The Spirit. It's produced by who? The Spirit. It's the Word of God and the Spirit of God working in your life. And if guys, this is why the most important thing you can do is cultivate your relationship with Jesus. The most important thing you can do is learn the Word of God. The most important thing you can do is to develop your prayer life. Because God supernaturally, supernaturally starts to produce things in you. And all of a sudden you say, what happened? Somebody around you, you know, they say, you know, the, the tree clap in their hand if you're forgetting the reference. They're saying, I noticed you've just, you've, you, you know, you're more loving. What happened to you? Well, I don't know. I'm in relationship with Jesus. I, I feel more loving. I don't know exactly what that this is. But guys, that's what happens. That's what many of us, our experiences in our life reflect this, right? Just somehow or another, Jesus is at work in our lives and he's helping us become better people and do better things. That doesn't mean there aren't other things we can do as well. It just means when you, when you take whatever the human thing is and you elevate it by, by, bring, by letting it all be shaped by God's word, I mean, it's like we have an unfair advantage over the competition. I don't know who the competition is, but God is at work in our lives. And ultimately, if we could, you know, sum up, you know, psychological thriving, I'd say that uh, God wants us to be happy. He wants us to go out in joy and be led forth in peace. If sum it up, we could talk about it in a lot of ways, but I like to talk about happiness. God wants us to be happy. And anything less than that in the overall picture of your life, God wants to move you to that. He wants you to move you to that. My favorite passage around this is Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, when, 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 when the apostle Paul said to the Romans, if we could see that on the screen, that we've been made right with God by our faith, therefore we have peace with 
God. This happened through our Lord Jesus Christ, who through our faith has brought us into that blessing of God's grace that we now enjoy, and we are happy because of the hope we have of sharing in God's glory. So what is he saying? Through our faith in Jesus, we've been made right with God. We have peace with God. We enjoy the blessings of God's grace now. And then he says we are happy because of the hope we have of sharing in God's glory. God's glory has to do with who God is, what God does, what God's going to do. When we hope in God, when we hope in God, when we hope in his word, we are happy. Everything in our life is informed by what we know about him, what we've learned about him in his word, what we've learned about him through our relationship with him. And we are happy. I hope that everybody in this room over the course of this coming year will be able to say more and more every week through my relationship with Jesus Christ, I am happy. I am happy.